Welcome back. This is part three of my discussion with Dr. Jessica Bishop-Funk, who is the Awake Dentist. And Jessica, we had a little bit of a, uh, a email conversation after our after part two and there were some things that you wanted to get off your chest or clarify about root canals so go for it what do we need to know well so an observation that i have had over 25 years of doing this is that patients who have a posterior root canal often tend to have more than one and I've inquired with my endodontist, uh, the one I refer to predominantly as to noticing this trend and wondering if there was some biology or pathology behind, you know, what might make a person more prone to needing root canals. Um, and he had no response for me. So I, I think there's a, a, a bigger system at play. And one of the interesting things that I noticed during COVID, actually after the shots were rolled out, was that I saw a demand or a need for root canals on a level that I had never seen before. So teeth that may have been previously um, treated and asymptomatic, all of a sudden there were more retreatments being done or teeth that, um, you know, were fine. And all of a sudden, you know, I just, I was referring out a lot more root canals than I remember doing before. Mm. I want to back up a step here. Uh, so the reason for getting a root canal done is that they're sorry correct me if i'm wrong on any of this just jump in at any at any point if i'm going off the rails so the reason a root canal is done is if there is a cavity that does it does, is it always the case where there's a cavity that's been previously filled but the no okay you, you take it away because i'm yeah yeah <laughs> clearly well, going I mean, the wrong direction i would i would say that that's the predominant indication is that there either either is a history of a deep cavity or mm. the cat that was restored and then the trauma of that procedure or just the cavity experience in general caused the nerve to die over time and then at some point in time there's a an imbalance in the immune system is something I'm, I'm suspicious of mm-hmm. that the body was able to handle the trauma and kept everything at bay. And then there's some weakening in the immune system that then causes that tooth to, to become abscessed where the patient has pain or there's some inflammation in the mouth uh, as far as a, having some type of pimple on the gum tissue indicating infection. Yep, yep, and then um, a second reason and this is another interesting, is a history of trauma absent a cavity. So you're hit in the face by a ball as a child, you fall and hit your front teeth, but then for some reason when you're 35, you know, something that happened when you were eight, now now abscesses. Mm-hmm. So getting back to my comment about the COVID shots, and I have to not really talk to another dentist um, about this, but so my impression of all that I had read on the COVID shots as far as decreasing, kind of telling your immune system to stand down, mm. had some impact in the oral cavity on these teeth that may have been kept at balance, kept in balance in some fashion. And all of a sudden now there was a, a, a much increased need for root canals than I had seen in my history of referring patients for root canals. Yeah. That is that is super interesting. So, does this is what you're talking about the uh, the IgG four class of antibodies that particularly picked up in people who had boosters. So, I don't think that that 
that IgG4 class, which is immunosuppressive, or, or um, that's not the right way of putting it. So the IgG4 class um, basically induces tolerance for an antigen. And my understanding of that is that it was the third shot where this particular class of antibodies really started to, to go up. Does that jibe with your observation or was it earlier on in the piece when people had had it was it was earlier on so i was mm. i was thinking it was more um because i want to say i started noticing this kind of um late spring summer of 21 oh. and then it really started going in 22 now the boosters were out in 22 so i i may not have a direct correlation there that, that yeah well what about masks I, I i did hear a lot of dentists say that that they were seeing really accelerated rates of decay in people who were wearing a facial decoration all day i i can't say that i observed that at all okay i mean i, I can understand the logic behind it but i can't say that i you didn't it see yet. it okay gotcha. and perhaps gotcha. and i would say it's probably because the patients i serve are of what they call the laptop class you know, so they are able to work from home. Their kids were home, you know, in, you know, on the computer. So, so I don't, they would have worn their mask when they went to the grocery store, but yeah. not all day, unless they were doing right. that performative, ridiculous thing where they put it on for their zoom meeting, which yeah. I did see a few people doing. <laughs> Like, call the psychiatrist, you need help. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, you won't get help from a psychiatrist. That's, that's a whole other podcast. Um, yeah. Thought just occurred to me, it, would would the uh, microclotting, the, the microthromboses that we're seeing, the jabs mm. and juice, would that have anything to do? I mean, if you've got microclots, you're not getting the oxygen supply to, yeah. to tissues. Yeah. You're talking like tiny, tiny, tiny um uh, blood vessels that are supplying blood yeah. and oxygen nutrients to, to teeth. Yeah. I, so. have, I think that's an extremely rational um, hypothesis. I I was thinking more about the methyl pseudouridine and, and how it, my understanding was it kind of tells your immune system to stand down. You know, oh, to yeah, not, you're and, right. You're and, right. I have heard um, the wonderful Dr. Jessica Rose talking about that. Okay. Yes. So we, we've got the methyl pseudouridine. We've got the IgG4 class antibodies. We've got and microclots. It's a big disaster. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so that observation was something that I had made during COVID. But historically, I have noted that you know, patients with posterior, and the reason why I'm singling out posterior or back teeth root canals is that usually those root canals are due to decay because there had been a prior filling. Mm -hmm. The root canals in the anterior are usually due to a history of trauma. I mean, typically not across the board, but you know, the front teeth, if you take a blow to the face, your front teeth are the ones that take it. And then the years down the, the road, the indication be, can often become necessary to have a root canal done. Oh, um, so interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. and so, and I don't know, again, I, I don't know that this is well studied in my profession. It's just observations that I've made that I've been curious about. Yeah. Um, and teeth that I had during COVID, you know, I had some teeth that were sort of questionable, you know, we we're kind of been watching them, minding them, if you will, because they weren't, they weren't symptomatic. Yep. And all of a sudden, like, during COVID, you know, teeth yeah. that I've been watching for 10, 15, 20 years, were either being extracted or being retreated. Um, so there's something in oh. something in the immune system that was triggering this, in my opinion. Yes, 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 yes. And you, 
were aware of the the COVID jab status of your patients? Was oh, that something that you asked? Yeah. I um, I never inquired, but I didn't have to because they would come in broadcasting. Yeah, right. You know, I, I live in a town where... I'm up to my have, 15th booster. Yay me. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so that was just something I wanted to make sure that I had a chance to share because yeah. I think it kind of ties in you know, I have a, I struggle with this part on from the viewpoint on the holistic side of dentistry being a hard stop, no root canal ever. Yeah, there is there is and, a camp among holistic dentists who, yeah. who are just dead against it. And as yeah. we discussed previously, well, the problem is if, if you don't do root canals, it's like what's your alternative? Thank you. A bridge, yes. an implant, those have problems too, or right. just like have the tooth removed and then. Right other teeth are going to move into that yeah it, it, yes. it's a so the there are no kind of you know fairy tale ending solutions to this are they correct and well i have i have a thought i was going to share with you because in your world you may be able to have two cents but you know i've seen and i think i saw it on the questions asked by your readers was some connection between breast cancer and root canals mm. and so coming back to my earlier comment about seeing some patients just seem to need more root canals than the next patient who has a cavity equally as deep, you know, just as traumatic and nothing bad happens. So is there potentially not so much that the, the root canal is the cause of the breast cancer, but there's something in that patient's immune system that isn't functioning a hundred percent. That is a very astute observation. In other words, you're, you're saying, uh, there's confounding here. There's, yeah. a, there's a third hidden there's, factor. It's not, very, it's, it's not cause and effect. It's not you had a root canal that caused your breast cancer. It's you have something a bit skew-if about your yes. immune system, about the, the balance between the inflammatory activity of the immune system and the sort of you know, pathogen controlling activity of the immune system. And that imbalance makes you both prone to the, the, the kinds of issues that result in a root canal and developing for example, breast cancer. You nailed it. Yeah. So, and this is, so this is where mm. I, I had a thought as far as those patients who are, you know, listening to this and now questioning what to do. And my opinion would be if, you know, cause I think somebody needed a root canal and they were going to go have the tooth extracted in the mm. comment section would be to entertain the idea of having a root canal. Absolutely have it done by a specialist, which I assume you have in Australia. Yes. You, you 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 do not you want to see a specialist and nothing bad to dentists general dentists who do them i'm sure they do a great job but somebody who does a root canal all day every day is going to do it with a level of precision you know if you do 100 root canals a month versus you know 10 in three months who's going to be better the person doing it's, it all the time it's the same with any any kind of surgery right isn't it? you know do you do you want to have your well, not that I'm in favor of knee replacements, but you want to have a knee replacement done by a guy or gal who does this all day, every right. day. Every day. You see every shape and size of person and every different configuration of knees. Or do you want it done by the dude who kind of does this <laughs> part time? Exactly. In between all sorts of other surgeries. Yeah. So um, I didn't know, and this is where you can answer. So my, my, um, thought for patient for patients in this sort of conundrum of making a decision would be are there biological markers that could be evaluated post endodontic treatment after there's been sufficient time for the body to heal which i would say you know three to six months for recovery from the procedure 
to have some something to evaluate to say you know there's something else going on in the body still maybe it's this root canal causing certain blood cell counts to be off i, I don't know i don't know enough about that there, side there, there are actually some some labs most of them us based that 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 it can do extremely advanced, um, you might say, profiles of immune and inflammatory activity. So I, I don't know of any that sort of specifically market this around dentistry, but that would be a really interesting thing to to look into. So I shall put that on my to-do list because, yeah. yeah, these tend to be quite expensive. But um, for a person who uh, is is interested in this and, and and concerned about the implications of a root canal for the health could be worth a could be worth spending the money yeah mm. um and you know saving a tooth and having and and i would say if the if you're asymptomatic if the root canal is done and radiographically the periodontal ligament is still intact and you have no symptoms um i, I don't even know if that testing would be necessary but having that mm -hmm. as an option you know yeah. to rule out just a thought I had. Yep. Wonderful. Wonderful. On the, sorry, is, 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 was there anything else you wanted to say about, about root canals? I, I think that's the, I think that's the main gist. Excellent. All right. So we can tick that box. Um, someone made a comment about bone used in dental implants and sorry, let me just get the exact, exact text of this. <laughs> um, where was it now? Uh, during the implant process, crushed bones from a recent dead person is, uh, they later correct this too, com is compacted where the previous tooth was. If those bones come from a dead person who has been jabbed, can you get the spike disease? Uh, blood transfusions with spike blood has resulted in spike disease, so do crushed bones do the same? Now, I, this was news to me. Um, is it true that crushed bone from a recently departed personage is ran well, into that space? There, there, there are three types of bone grafts that can be done. You can have it from cadaver, cadaver bone. Yeah. As far as the recency of that person's passing, I have, I, I can I claim no knowledge there. I do know that the bone is sterilized. Mm -hmm. So in a process that I would assume render the spike protein, if the spike even accumulates in the bone, I that I'm not familiar with. I, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't seem to be a plausible mechanism for spike yeah. accumulation within yeah. bone, right? Um, so I wouldn't be too worried about that because your your other two options for uh, bone grafting would be bovine, would be from an animal, yeah. or um, your analog where you have it from yourself and auto auto. Um, oh, an autologous, right? So you've actually mm -hmm. what got to get some bone. Yeah, they can Ow. take it from your chin or from your mandible. Oh. Yeah. Or your okay. Mm, that sounds like mm. it could be uh, complicated. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's done very frequently. I think the bovine and the cadaver bone are used most frequently based on my yeah. my you know my patient selections. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I think that, we can tick we can tick that one off. Um, there were there was a question, couple of questions actually about safe removal of amalgam fillings. So should we do yeah. a quick overview of of that? I mean, that's a complex topic. I know. Yeah, I would like to talk about that because that's another area within the holistic field that I have. Um, I don't know that I completely align. Um, I mm -hmm. listen to. I, I don't think that having mercury in your mouth is safe. I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying it's fantastically safe to have it removed either. Mm -hmm. um, the the graph that I saw when I was doing um, some continuing education on 
from from a holistic side on doing safe mercury removal highlighted the fact that when you use the high volume evacuation which is the large suction that we use the amount of mercury vapor measured versus without it and with it it, it almost removed it completely mm. and that's not to say that there isn't still a little bit um mm. but that high volume evacuation has a very powerful suction that's able to pull the debris from the patient's yep. mouth and then the patient can so a, lot, a lot less for them to inhale or, or right ask. right so okay. and i know that i guess where i struggle with what the holistic side is recommending is you know you're coming into the room looking like you're going to the moon the doctor the mm -hmm. assistant and then the patient is draped so significantly with this high volume like even you have the high volume suction going but then you have another suction almost like a big vacuum cleaner in front of the mouth and then they have you know um, auxiliary oxygen to breathe over their nose and um everything everything is covered except for the mouth um, which is then isolated through a rubber dam yeah. and i have so many patients that have claustrophobia and issues. oh that would be such a nightmare having all of oh, that gear. and i cannot imagine walking into the room mm. and having people be okay with that so so for my so yeah. for your you know your listeners i would say you know you know i'm sure you have detox me me mechanisms or methods that you could recommend to a patient after they've had a silver filling replaced or mm. taken out and then yeah. i would say you know just your doctor is definitely going to use the high volume evacuation he he or she i, I know that there's just that's like breathing in dentistry is having that thing running mm. Mm. Um, yes you sure could, yep, yep, yep. you could also request the rubber dam which is is an isolation method for the tooth where a little ring goes around the tooth and then a piece of rubber covers the face um and i think that that is sufficient to protect you and then have your detox but something that never is touched on and i and i wish that this would be brought up if the mercury toxicity from breathing that vapor is so dangerous why are we as dentists not just afflicted with all the neurological diseases that are then potentially attributed i have heard the suicide rate among dentists is is, is higher you know yes. among among the highest of any profession but maybe that's not just mercury <laughs> yeah i mean there, there are other reasons you know you tend to be a bit anal retentive if you're a dentist and you you work in small places where people complain that they hate to see you. So there's, there's that's <laughs> a more that. yeah. So. Yes, yes, yes. They could, they could, they could be like a lack of job satisfaction for those reasons. Um, has there been research on the incidence of, of neurological disorders uh, among dentists? I mean, is is there a higher rate of these? Has anyone actually done this? I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to investigate. I'm just saying anecdotally. Yep. You know, I know a you, lot. You don't, of, you don't know a bunch of dentists who've been yes. affected by neurological well, hygienists or, or or assistants. You know, there's females that work alongside their dentist. You and know, those females also get pregnant. They bear babies. Yep. So you'd expect there to be some sort of epidemiological study done. Something. Um, yeah. That you, you'd oh. hope that'd be something that dental associations might sponsor. But yeah, maybe there's a conflict interest there <laughs> yeah exactly huge so i guess my summary of that would be you know um if you're all for going to see somebody who's going to take it out in the safe mercury removal where everybody's draped have at it i'm sure the cost is astronomical compared to going to your regular dentist but your regular dentist under high volume evacuation and a rubber dam seek out some type of detox after you're going to be fine
Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know, especially for people who who um, are struggling financially. Uh, yes. You know, after all the the COVID debacle and want to get their teeth fixed and don't have a pile of money to, to blow on. Yes. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, we had a couple of questions about teeth whitening. Uh, what causes tooth discoloration in the first place? Are there any safe whitening uh, methods? What would you recommend? I so um, you know tooth color discoloration can come. It can be intrinsic. It can be just something that as you age, as your enamel thins, you see more of the dentin underneath the teeth just naturally get a little bit yellower. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, things in our diet will also stain our teeth. Coffee, wine, blueberries. Um, Polyphenols, um, basically. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And, and so those stains are very effectively removed using um, a hydrogen peroxide or carbamide peroxide-based gel. Now, as far as, and this is not a dive I've made, as far as what else is in that gel mm. that could be toxic that we're concerned with. And, and what does what effect does that hydrogen peroxide have on the oral microbiome? Yeah, that, well, so if, so if you're doing it in a tray where it's isolated, because I, I highly recommend okay. that you have it done professionally where you have a custom fit. So when that gel goes into your mouth, it is only on your tooth structure, nowhere yep. else. And then as soon as you take it out, you're brushing it off. Mm -hmm. um, now I know sort of an old fashioned way of, of taking care of the mouth was rinsing with hydrogen peroxide and things. Mm -hmm. Some people even brushed with it. As far as those implications, I I don't, as far as it's not gonna whiten your teeth doing that, not enough contact time in my, in my mm. opinion. Yeah, yep. so it's gotta be direct contact with the teeth for an extended period of time, for example, yes. of an eye. I tell patients, I don't know if you have these commercials in Australia, but it's like a Tide commercial. You know, you're washing your laundry, you have a stain on your white t-shirt. You don't put it on there for 10 seconds and expect the stain to be gone. You let it sit. <laughs> yeah. So. Or, or in my case, living um, living in a, a part of Queensland that, that, that has really red soil, that stain ain't coming out, never buy white yep. again. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> all righty so teeth white um that that kind of uh, we, we touched on this um previously just in regards to toothpaste uh do you yeah. recommend the the toothpaste that have for example hydroxyapatite and i know we had a we had a bit of a to and fro about nano yeah. hydroxyapatite yeah. so yeah yeah bring me up to speed because I know, I know i know you started looking into the nano hydroxyapatite yeah. after our after our exchange yeah well what, what did you find so okay so i i do want to reach out to the company that is marketing the product that i like so much um who is using the nano hydroxyapatite because after you kind of brought my attention to that i you know, anything i research nano is not positive it's just that yep. we don't know and the, the argument that I would say for toothpaste is you are spitting it out. What's absorbed sublingually, which is my issue with fluoride in toothpaste, what I can't speak to. So I was going to reach out to the company and inquire with them as to why they specifically are using nano and if they would ever consider, because I'm thinking in this space, people who are going for a fluoride free toothpaste are people awake to what's going on generally. And they're also going to become awake to the concerns over nanotechnology because it's, it's, it's everywhere. Do you, do you want to just very briefly outline the concerns about 
well, nanotechnology generally, because there's also an issue about possible nanotech in dental anesthesia. Yeah, so, I wanted to get to that too. Oh, okay. All right. So if you want to do yeah. a brief overview of like what's what's the deal with, with nanotechnology? Well, I am not even going to pretend to claim to be any level of expert on this. It's just um, using these super tiny particles to be able to get into places that we were otherwise previously, you know, unreachable. And it can my understanding is it's crossing barriers that it should not be crossing like the blood brain barrier. Um, and, and things are being found places where we didn't want them to be found specifically as they looked at the lipid nanoparticle, right. From, um, yep. the, uh, for the COVID shots. Stuff. Yeah. The lipid nanoparticle that was specifically developed to, to deliver chemotherapy across the blood brain barrier to get it into right. brain tumors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but Hey, if you wrap it around spike protein, it'll just stay in your short <laughs> That's plausible. Right. <laughs> You know, going back, you know, thinking about dental school, we were uh, the composite, the plastic fillings that we place, which I've already told you how I have some reservation about that because it's plastic. They're filled with nanoparticles, you know, and, and that's been going on for some. I mean, I've been out of dental school 25 years and we were talking about that in the late 90s. And it was like, you know, an awesome revelation for dentistry to have these nano sized particles in the composite because it, it made it for a better composite restoration. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot to learn. And as far as it relates to toothpaste, I'm still trying to find something that contains hydroxyapatite that has the same fabulous clean feeling that the one that I have been using does. The one with the nano hydroxyapatite is just an amazing clean feeling in your mouth. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. But you, you have these, these residual concerns about the. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hydroxyapatite. Yeah. Gotcha. And while we're on the subject of nanotech then the the nanotech in dental anesthesia do you want to do you want to just briefly I, I do but can we go back to the toothpaste for a second oh, yeah because um and i'm sure a lot of your listeners would be aware of this but the other ingredient that you don't want in your toothpaste is sodium lol sulfur oh, which yeah. is the sub you know that has no purpose being in your toothpaste it's a cell membrane disturber and you can um i i believe it's it's pretty pervasive within the dental tubed toothpastes yeah. um, and a lot of the more holistic ones are not going to have that in there, but you want to stay away from sodium lauryl right. sulfate. Yes. Um, yes, yes. That's, that's also implicated in the formation of um, ulcers of mouth ulcers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. So, and as far as the anesthetic, so I would say, you know, a year or so after the shots came out, I started seeing rumblings specifically the market, the, um, the brand septicane, anesthetic dental anesthetic having i don't know how to say her last name there's a doctor who's put out a video using dark it, um, dr dr anna um me, uh, me, me. Me, we're, we're both anyway, gonna stumble, aren't we call her dr anna. Um, no, 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 uh, i think it's uh is it like m-i-h-a-l-c-e-a -A -A? i think something like that it's, yeah. it's almost like michaela but minus yes. a, a speed in front of the h to make it look like that but so we'll call her dr anna We'll so Dr. Anna has put out this dark field microscopy of the Septicane uh, brand uh, manufactured by Septodont anesthetic having the nanoparticles in it. And it's a pretty, I think she has several articles that she's written with the video and, photog and photos of this imaging. So I, I kind of just brushed it off. I didn't, I didn't I couldn't go there. I'm like, no, this, 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 this can't be happening in dentistry too. Mm. 
and then it just keeps reappearing. It reappeared on your Substack, and then I posted somewhere this weekend trying to bring attention to the fluoride debacle. And then as soon as somebody knew, if people knew I was a dentist, I got bombarded with that question all over again. So yeah, yeah, people yeah, know. Yeah. So I have a good friend who's a trained pharmacist, practicing pharmacist, and also a trained oral surgeon, practicing surgeon. So brilliant. This man is brilliant. And he's also a very good um, detective. So he he got the uh, material information sheet from Septodont on Septicane, and there's nothing indicated on the safety sheet, the material mm. data safety sheet, that this contains nanotechnology. So he emailed the company, you know, referencing the data sheet, and the company denied right away that that was being done in their anesthetic. Mm. So he then followed up with them with Dr. Anna's writings, as well as her videos mm. of the dark field microscopy. And we've yet, and we had a response saying, we will look into this with no follow-up since. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. and so Dr. He's also followed up with Dr. Anna saying, Hey, we've contacted Septodont. They deny this you having fraudulent information out there about them potentially is a risk to her if she's lying about yes, the product. They could sue her. Yeah. Correct. But the one thing we learned in the process of this is they're the manu they I guess maybe manufacturer it they don't manufacture it themselves. Okay. Except it came. So some somewhere else it's put together. Mm. For whatever that's worth. I don't know if that means that there can be shenanigans because it's a third party making yeah. it that I, I, I can't speak to. So we're working on it. And he, oh, um, he's actually, he's considering buying, buying a dark field microscope so that we can investigate it. Cause it's um, an anesthetic that we can easily come by, but why, yeah, is that, sure. Sure, and why is that the only one? Like, why is that the only one implicated? Why don't the others, the more common one used is lidocaine. Yes. Um, and so anyway, we're, we're working on that. Okay, good to know. All right, keep me updated on that. Excellent, excellent. Uh, one, just before we, we leave the toothpaste subject, I'm just looking down my list of questions. I, I did just want to mention something very briefly, which is we discussed nitric oxide production in the mouth um, and how basically the oral microbiome plays a huge role in converting dietary nitrates into nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator. It has anti-infective properties. It stops the adherence of, of um, atherosclerotic plaque to artery walls. Pretty good stuff. Um, and one thing that was actually... That, that I learned some time ago is that fluoride actually kills off the, the bacteria that form nitric oxide. So it's not just the antiseptic mouthwashes that are a real problem in terms of nitric oxide formation in the mouth. It's, it's actually the fluoride in, in toothpaste. So anyway, that's nasty stuff. So um, I do hope you get some good news or, or some update from the company that makes the the dentrifice that that you were talking about yes uh, yeah and i will i will keep you posted on that yep okay someone had a question around the the bolus effect and does that apply to injections used in dentistry so uh just I, I think you've probably heard of Mark Girardot and, and his bolus theory uh, in relation to the, the COVID injections. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So just just for our, our listeners, uh, Mark Giraudeau has has proposed that uh, he's quite adamant that that this is the major mechanism of damage with the the COVID injections. And anyway, that's his opinion. So uh, the bolus effect is is basically if you if you inject uh, the the substance in this case the, the the COVID injections all in one go. So specifically, not stopping to aspirate to make sure that you're you're not direct, um, that, 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 that you're achieving an intramuscular injection rather than an intravenous right. injection, and then just like shoving the 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 whole bolus, the whole blob yeah. of the right. injection mm-hmm. in in one go. And so Gerard Joe says that 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 bolus. Um, because because you've got a large amount of this substance all in one big blob, the chances of it sort of going into to an artery, um, say in in the heart, for instance, and then um, causing cause it. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to truncate this discussion, but, but but causing massive damage in a in a in in the sort of in the finite area that it, that a large amount of it is is coming in contact with. So he says that's the major reason why we're seeing this high rate of, of cardiac events, you know, post-injection. So yeah. with that as background, does that bolus effect apply to dental anesthesia? I mean, we're talking about totally different yeah being injected into the body but is there a possibility for a bolus effect well sure i mean if you get into a vessel especially with the epinephrine it can you know cause the heart to race so we are trained to aspirate and that i know that i didn't i hadn't heard of that doctor before but i had heard that mechanism as a potential um you know one being laid out there as far as why we were seeing certain things as far as the you know i think if I heard this correctly, I believe they were told not to aspirate. They were, they were, they um, were. which is, I don't think that's so that they could inject faster and supposedly with less pain. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. And, but I was going to say, I don't think that's typically how they're uh, directed or taught to inject the opposite. The opposite. I said, that's not how we're directed. Yeah. I mean, we're taught the, to aspirate. Yep. Um, so as far as you're going, your dentist, I, I don't know why your dentist wouldn't aspirate and mm. make sure that they're not. And as far as the risk, you're correct. You're totally two different substances. Yes. And the main issue with the anesthetic would be the epinephrine causing, you know, some heart racing if, you know, it's injected into a vessel. um, Excellent. Okay. But if if it's delivered in the location where it's supposed to be, which is what aspiration is, is, is intended to check for, then you're not going to have this, this bolus effect. Okay. Correct. Good. Excellent. Um, we had a, question and sorry i mean this this kind of strictly speaking is 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 outside your domain as a dentist but i wondered if if you had any thoughts on it so um one of my readers asked is he is he kind of like wasting his time if he installs a water filter with a fluoride removal cartridge for his drinking water but then he goes and takes a shower and is actually bathing in fluoridated water yeah in other words yeah that's a that's a smart man. Oh, let me turn off those into, um, notes. Um, that is a smart man because as I was researching this, um, one of the the things that was brought up was the fact that our so much is absorbed through our skin. So mm-hmm. when we're showering, we may only drink the one liter per day that they're telling us to drink and have that 0.7 parts per million, which is what the United States does. But as you bathe and back at one point in time in history, we, for patients who had hyperthyroidism, I think it was hyperthyroidism. Yes, pretty sure. They would bathe in fluoridated water. 
to affect the thyroid to bring the thyroid activity down. Yeah, so sure. I would say because, to him, and they're, anybody, they're, they're both halogens and, and, and fluoride competes with iodine for uptake or fluorine. Yeah. Oh boy, that's so interesting. So there is actually absorption of fluoride compounds through the skin. Oh yeah. Yeah, so you want to get a whole house filter. Or I live in an area where there's no town right. water. We have or tank water. Although, although you know, to, to give credit to my, my, my local council, um, my, my council, we, we discussed this last time we spoke, my, my council is, um, what was it the first time? Anyway, we discussed this previously. Um, my council is, is one of the quite large number of, of, of local councils in the state of Queensland that it's not out of fluoride to, to, to the drinking water. So <laughs> even if I wasn't on tank water, I'd be cool in terms of fluoride. Right. Um, I happen to actually know this person. We, we met up. Um, um, anyway, that's that's kind of outside the scope of our discussion today. And I happen to know that he's actually bought some land in an area that I'm fairly sure uh, the, the council does not add fluoride. So his problems could be solved. Good, good. <laughs> in the meantime, you can buy a whole house filter. They are more expensive, though. Yeah, they're very expensive. I don't know what they are in your country, but we looked at them here and it was a, I think it's about a six or seven thousand dollar investment. Yep. That's, that's for us in here. Yeah. yeah, for a four-person family. Yep. Um, and and I, how closely are you all following what's happening in America with this lawsuit that's starting next week? There's, as you can imagine, there's been absolutely no, no publicity of, of this mm -hmm. case in the lamestream media. But yeah, I've been following it pretty closely. Yeah, um, it's pretty interesting, and um, yeah. be curious as to the re what resolution there is on this topic. Yes, I, I think if if the case goes as I think it should, you know, in view of in view of the science, it's going to be very interesting because you know we we discussed previously how uh, state authorities in in my state of Queensland are essentially trying to override the control that the, the yeah. local like the local government, which is the councils, have on whether fluoride is added to the drinking water or not, and of course they they are saying that the, the dental benefits of, of, of fluoridating the water are completely proven, which clearly. <laughs> even, even if they're proven, even if they're proven, is yeah. the risk worth it? And if the yes, risk. That, that, that's a really good point. But I, I, I love, and I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to include the chart that you had in, in your substack on uh, that, that basically shows the decline in rates of decayed, missing and filled teeth. Right in countries right. that do fluoridate versus those that don't. And right. when you have a look at this graph, you, you'll see that the countries that have not added fluoride to their water supply have had as great a rate of decline in decayed, missing and filled teeth, in some cases a greater rate of decline than the countries that, that actually added fluoride. So that's pretty interesting. But, but yes, you know, even if there were these dental benefits, even if that were the case, the trade-off for reduced IQ in children, which of course relates, uh, uh, results in lowered IQ throughout the entirety of life. Lifetime, that, right. Yeah, and that also, that also results in, in decreased productivity. I mean, if you're dumber, you can't do as much um, intelligent work, okay? Correct. So your, your uh, lifetime earning capacity is reduced and your value to the state I hate putting in those terms, but hey, if you're in government, that's how you think. Your value to the state is reduced because you're basically just dumber. Um, sadly, yeah. So, so this this case in the US is is going to provide a lot of um, ammunition for yes. groups in Australia that are basically trying to rein the, the the state government in to say back off. You know, 
the councils express the will of the people in not adding fluoride to the water supply and you're not going to override that anyway fingers crossed yeah and and, and i think it's such a you know if you look at the totality of the situation between fluoride and the COVID shots you know and to me fluoride is a forced medical treatment yes. Yes. because you don't have the option to not drink water uh -huh. you know and you have to in it yeah right right so you're being forced to accept a medical treatment that comes with risks for mm -hmm. some uh, maybe all um, but yes, it may benefit your teeth and that's not, that's just not fair. And so I think, I think more after people have been forced to take a shot they didn't want to take, or they stood their ground and didn't take it and sacrificed as a result are going to be more open to the fact where they might've overlooked the, the fluoride in the water before. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. And you know, you, you said previously that fluoride is to dentistry, what vaccination is to medicine. Absolutely. If you look at them as two public health interventions, um, and I, I actually don't know about the timing of the introduction of fluoride into the water supply as you know as you rightly point out this is forced mass medication if i if i'm right that actually uh preceded the mandating of vaccines except for smallpox so there were yeah, a little bit i mean they they're similar time frames within almost a decade of one another okay so interesting yeah so you you could say that that actually introducing fluoride into the water supply was, it was almost like a trojan horse if they if they get away with this if they get away with forced no informed consent you know mandatory mass medication of the population yeah what the lessons learned from that could be translated to forced mandatory mass medication of the people with with vaccines mm. Heavy. That's something to ponder isn't it okay mm -hmm. um yeah. all right so we've talked about absorption of fluoride through the skin um periodontists there was a a, a reader who expressed some skepticism about the, the profession of periodontists and wondered like is this just a scam is this a money-making thing can i just go see a dental hygienist what's the value or otherwise of, of seeing a periodontist oh i'm afraid to answer um <laughs> well, so, this get you in trouble well you know i already i actually was emailing with another dentist today he's a retired oral surgeon and i i uh and he's like-minded on the COVID shots and some other things in our field especially fluoride and um you know, I was asking his opinion on the root canal situation because I feel, maybe I've already said this in our conversation, but I, I, I sort of feel professionally homeless. I just, I don't belong in the mainstream dentist. I'm, I'm much more on the holistic side, but I don't agree with everything and I don't know if they're open for discussion. So as far as it comes to periodontics, um, it is the, it is my least favorite, my absolute least favorite subspecialty of dentistry. Mm -hmm. And I can probably count on one hand I can probably count on two fingers, maybe one <laughs> finger, the number of patients I refer a year to a periodontist. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So I have some very strong opinions here. Really? Um, yeah. Um, I do. And not to say that they're not a, you know, they place implants. And so for patients who need implants, I know they do a really good job. They're extremely meticulous. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I really struggle with is the grafting of, for recession. So when that, sort of their i want to say oh, sort of their okay. bread and butter you know, obviously you have the scaling and root planning and yeah. that's a that sometimes is necessary i think it's way overdone i feel uh, at least what i've seen i've seen a lot of um i would call it fraud 
where patients who do not have radiographic indication for need of scaling and root planning are sold are sold scaling and root planning, which is the okay. deep cleaning under dental anesthetic. But as right. far as the bread and butter in that field, and this is my opinion, I want to make sure I say this, um, is that what I have seen with tissue grafting, you know, they take tissue typically from the roof of the mouth to restore areas where there's been loss of tissue. Mm. It's that predominantly those cases over the long term go back to looking just the way they did okay. before the procedure was done. So they undergo a, pro a, a process that is, I'm guessing, very expensive, painful. Painful. painful? Extremely yep. painful, okay. yes. The recovery. Costly, painful. Uh, is there, are there complications? Is there a risk of infection? Those things are definitely risks. I, I would say if the number one um, thing to be concerned with is the pain. I had a patient, okay. um, and this is, probably 15 years ago now. And I don't remember why she wound up at the periodontist. I met, I may have referred her. She became suicidal after the pain oh and goodness. was being ignored. And, and she was angry with me for a time, I guess maybe by, because I, I mean, she still is my patient, but I mean, she was very, very damaged by the procedure and the pain mm -hmm. that she experienced afterwards. Yeah. But my biggest, my two cents to your, your listeners would be if you have an area of, okay, let me back up. When I see gum recession in a patient's mouth, it generally presents between the age of 25 and 35. That's about mm -hmm. the time you're going to start seeing gum recession. And the main reason mm -hmm. being your jaw finishes growing in your mid-20s as your teeth come to, as I like to jokingly call, your their final resting position. Sometimes the position your tooth is in is not necessarily where the ideal bone and tissue support is. And so as it comes to that position, you see the gum recession result usually about the age of 35 to 40, based on my 25 years of monitoring patients, it stabilizes. It doesn't progress. It doesn't get any worse. Oh, okay. So, right. This is, this is super interesting. So the person who presents with gum recession um, might, might, be, might be told, might be sort of mm, influenced into having this invasive, expensive, painful um, process by having the fear of God put into them, oh, look look how recessed your gums are now. Can you imagine how much worse it'll be when you're 85? And you're saying, well, no, it actually won't be substantially worse. It's going to be yeah. about the same as it is now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Right, 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 right. Okay, so periodontist, for placement of implants, yes, uh, for uh, the gum recession or the, the grafting for that, not so much. Yes, I think I think there's definitely a time and a place for it. I think severe situations where there's no attached tissue, where the tooth is definitely at some risk, absolutely worth the procedure. But I think it is extremely overdone, extremely right. overdone, with okay. a lack of benefit to the patient. In my so you might opinion. um you might want to get a second opinion if that's being yes. recommended. Yes, maybe try to find a conservative dentist that will listen to your concerns, honor your request to monitor. Take take two to three years to monitor. You don't see progression. And the other thing okay. on the same topic, which it didn't come up, but we used to blame patients for brushing too hard as far as their gum rush session. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dentists did that to me some time ago. Oh, your brushing yeah. technique must be off. And so mm. one of the things I always struggled with that is generally speaking, if you see gum recession, you kind of see it isolated, like one tooth has it and the tooth next to it doesn't. Well, you're not in there just brushing that one tooth too hard, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think gum recession is not... I don't think aggressive brushing is beneficial by any stretch, but I don't think I don't think it's our place to blame the patient for it. I think there there's so many factors, and one factor I haven't touched on is 
because I've been doing this for the time I have been, and I've seen many patients over that period of time, I get to see their children and I see genetically similar recessive patterns. So there's another factor there. Yeah. Interesting. Um, And is, is there, any practice that could actually um that people could use to to stimulate the 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 i don't know what the correct term is but like regrowth regrowth of that of that recessive Mm -hmm. or is it a matter of once it's gone it's gone like i'm thinking you know um i know there's there's a there's some interest in in lasers in ozone in all manner of things is there anything that that has potential i'm i'm not i'm not familiar i'm sure there is it's not it's it's my least favorite area of dentistry Mm. I can't say I've spent a lot of time researching the possibilities of a more natural way, but I will tell you that I have seen, and it blows my mind every time, because generally speaking, without intervention, I don't know how the tissue would grow back. Maybe lasers can do something, maybe ozone apps, maybe there is a place for that. But I have had more than a handful of cases where I had areas of recession that were under watch, you know, I'm keeping my eye on them. Mm. And years later, the tissue has now covered over the area that was under watch and it's not absolutely fascinating and and so you haven't isolated any particular things that the person did or stopped doing or no no yeah it sounds to me like there's just so many fruitful areas for research in in, in dental and i'm not sure fruitful for who but yeah yeah, like who's who's going to fund this right exactly exactly because if there's no patentable product at at the end of this if there's no sort of you know high-tech machine that that someone has a monopoly on on the manufacture or the use of like who's going to stump up the money for this well it's like i I wrote about this morning on my Substack was about the use of um, um, coconut oil as an oral rinse, you know, and it, it goes back through Indian holistic medicine as a practice. And there's research that supports that it does have some benefit, but they don't really understand why. And because mm. nobody's going to study it, who's going to put a large, you know, well-funded study together on a product that, you know, you can get at the baking aisle of your grocery store. Mm. So, Mm-mm. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, I mean we we touched on the oil pulling thing yes, last, last time. time. And so so I um I, I meant I, I meant to pull this up actually so we could discuss it and then I got distracted. But I do recall reading a, a study where there was a placebo control which was just vigorous swishing with, with water. So oh. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the in the show notes and then people can kind of read that and make of it yeah. what they will. Okay. Um Finally, there was a there were a couple of mentions of a sinus lift. Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah. So if you don't have enough room to place an implant in the maxillary arch because the sinus cavity, especially around the upper first molar, the upper first molar and second premolar are the most common areas where the sinus cavity almost dips into the path of where the root system is positioned. And so to have adequate length for the implant to um, osteointegrate with the bone, they'll go in and they'll lift the sinus mm-hmm. and, and then put bone and place the implant. So that's a whole lot of grafting going on. Whoa, oh, yeah. That sounds, that sounds yeah. 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 Okay. And I, and I would, I don't think it's, at least not in my patient population, it's definitely been done, but it's not aggressively done. I think it's avoided if at all possible. Yeah, I can kind of see why. 
yeah. what could possibly come wrong? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think we've I think we've covered off on I'm checking my list here. I think we've covered off on the at least the bulk of the questions that, that were asked. Um are there any that, that you spotted that, that I've missed that you'd like well, to respond to? I didn't see this come up, but I have a strong opinion and I wanted to share it. Um, it doesn't necessarily affect your readers directly because they're too old to be considered for the procedure, but the procedure of placing sealants, which is another sort of. Oh, yes. You mentioned that in our first conversation. We never got yeah. back to it. So thank you. Excellent. Yeah. So um, it is a huge money making part of the pediatric side of our field and I do believe that sealants have a place in certain populations as a preventative measure. And what a sealant is for those who may not know, but it, it, um, the best analogy I can come up with is like flowing a top coat of nail polish okay. over the biting surface of the tooth. And the tooth has the ability that you can bond that material to the tooth surface. So in a perfect world, that seems like a very reasonable way of sort of sealing those grooves preventing bacteria from getting into those grooves um, in the future. Where I see issues are, in, we don't have a great system for replacement. So it's usually one and done. You have it placed mm -hmm. and unless it visibly pops out in a short period of time, the replacement is, um, there's not a good method for that and an and indication for replacement. So. One of the things that you see happen as you chew on this top coat of nail polish over time, the bond, because there's not much holding it, you know, a filling goes down into the tooth. It has this huge walls to bond to and protect that bond. But you're talking about a thin film flown over. A film of what? What's it? What's the sealant made of? Well, it's, it's more, it's of a, an unfilled resin. So it's very, it's another plastic, if you will. Oh, great. Um, so over time, some of the biggest cavities that I have removed on my teenagers have been under these sealants. So the sealant is still intact or mostly intact, but there's been some type of microscopic breakdown that's allowing bacteria to get under that sealant. And unlike a tooth that was a virgin tooth on, on um, you know, that we have not touched in any way, if you had early decay, you find it and you get it small, but under a sealant, you usually proceed or progress in a, um, in a way that you are taking care of a very large cavity that yeah. might have otherwise not had. So been. The, the dentist um, is going to miss it basically because Correct. underneath and, the sealant. Yeah, I see. Yes. And then from a holistic side, I heard the argument that the anatomy of our teeth with those deep grooves mm. hold beneficial bacteria for digestion and so when you seal them off you're you're minimizing the tooth surface as far as the breakdown of food and then mini minimizing that bacterial contact for that you know that pre-digestive process mm -hmm. that i haven't researched well that was just something that i read and i was like oh another reason for me not to like sealants but yeah. i so i would say to <laughs> yep your mm -hmm. population that I think that based on the, if they're paying attention to you, they obviously care about their health so that therefore they care about their children's health. So there's some level of diet monitoring and oral hygiene routine and some type of hopefully routine care by seeing a dentist that they trust and feel comfortable with. Mm. But an underserved population that doesn't have access to care, that doesn't have a good diet, those sealants in the early phases of life may, may help, you know, get them 
down the road a bit until they have more ability to care for themselves. Okay, so you're not totally against them, but you do think that they should be used very selectively. And I'm guessing for for fairly finite periods of time, or like, hmm, but then you can't remove them, can you? Or or can you? Well, not not without having to drill the tooth on some level because oh the way my god all right so. yeah okay so so no basically yeah. or not without a fair amount of damage and extra expense right um it strikes me too that really the the answer to this issue of the the these deep grooves these these deep naturally occurring fissures in 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 teeth um being a risk for uh bacteria to accumulate and and bacteria to make the acid which then causes tooth decay the answer seems to be exactly what we were discussing the last time we spoke which is chewing eating a lot of really fibrous food and when you when you look at these you know people in africa or you know the pacific islands that have these amazing teeth you know they open up their mouths to smile which they do a lot um and and you see this this astonishing row of just beautiful teeth gorgeous teeth all straight and strong like this nice broad dental arch um and what are they eating an absolute ton of fiber they're, they're chewing on fibrous plants and and that chewing activity stimulates all this saliva flow so whatever you've got kind of you know stuck down there in the in in the crevices is getting flushed out by by this astonishing amount of of, of um, chewing and, and the saliva flow that comes from that so back back to <laughs> yeah, yeah back to eating proper food exactly it, it all comes back to that even with the fluoride argument i mean we have the amount of money we're spending buying up this toxic waste to dump it in the water what if we spent that on public health messages of of eating healthy you know and, and encouraging patients to to do that imagine all the other conditions that we but Jessica, have. who would make money out of that <laughs> oh dear idea oh oh sorry that's actually just brought to mind there was a question that i missed which, which was well it wasn't so much a question someone commented about um chewing xylitol containing yes. gum yes i plan to write about this okay. um as far as it being you know helping with patients who have dry mouth to stimulate salivary production um as well as the benefits of xylitol so yeah that's that i'm very interested i listened to a great podcast a while ago actually it was dr mccullough peter mccullough he was interviewing um a dentist from the from the uk i believe um and a woman and she was patients will love this she was very Mm anti-flossing and i thought her position on flossing was curious and i listened to her argument and she you know basically said if you're eating the right foods you don't need to floss you don't have that sticky plaque in there and patients don't they're not dexterous enough to get in there without damaging their gum tissue or the um the attachment Mm -hmm. so i I thought her argument was sound it's just that you know very few people have a diet healthy enough to you know avoid flossing the the other the other issue and it's a it's a really major issue is that these super fibrous plants that our ancestors ate that and we know that they ate super 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 fibrous plants because of this um 
because of the study of, of, of coprolites or paleo poop, um, mm. fossilized <laughs> feces, right? And so it's very evident that our ancient ancestors were, were eating an absolute bucket load of fiber. I, I've seen estimates of anywhere, you know, from like 100 to 150 grams a day. Um, wow. That's wow. a lot of fiber. Now, I know. Yeah. I know the recommendation for fiber in the US um, for, I believe for, for men, it's, what is it, like 25? Is it 35 grams for men and 25 women, something like that? Oh, well, so, I was going to say 30, so I, well, you're close because that, that was what's coming. Like that. So let, let's just say 30 for argument's sake. Um, and so our ancestors are reading somewhere between, uh, say, three and a bit times that and five times that. And... Um, and again, you know, the amount of fiber that, that they ate is clearly evident from the uh, analysis of, of the, the contents of their fossilized poop. Um, so lots and lots of fiber. Now, of course, plant breeding over millennia, I'm not talking about genetic modification, obviously, I'm just talking about regular garden variety plant breeding techniques, have uh, successively bred down the fiber content of all our mm -hmm. plants. And so even if you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, you're, you're, it's going to be very difficult for you to get just the sheer volume of fiber and the types of fiber because the, the, the specific right types of fiber that are, that right. are um, the non-soluble, like the, the insoluble fibers, which is right. uh, what, what you see, say, in the, in the Pacific Islands where sugarcane was introduced as a, as a cash crop. And the you know, local people were, were put to work on these sugarcane plantations, right? And so they'd actually chew on sugarcane. Um, I'm in a cane growing area, by the way, just up the road from me, as some of the oh. most you know, productive cane fields ever. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, they, these are all mechanically harvested. But in the Pacific Islands, where, where people were, were, were put to work for ridiculously low wages, basically slave labor, to, to hand harvest the, the sugarcane, they would actually chew. On, on these like big fibrous stalks of sugarcane. I don't know if you've ever seen this stuff. But I haven't. It's, it, it's incredible. It, it, it grows tall like a, like, like a really super thick grass. And if you look at this and, and you ask yourself, um, how would I go with chewing on this? <laughs> but that's what they do. And they have these magnificent teeth. So they're, they're munching sugarcane. But, of course, it takes, um, I think it's like nine feet of sugarcane to produce a, a teaspoon of, of, of sugar. It's either a teaspoon Holy or a tablespoon. Anyway, yeah. it's one heck of a lot of sugarcane. So you could munch on this stuff all day. You're never going to get enough sugar to, to damage your teeth because you just right. can't munch your way through it. But in the meantime, you'll be ah, 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 chomping on yeah. this incredibly tough, fibrous plant. But who does that now? Right. Well, who, so, right. And who even has the time? I mean, another, I mean, this sounds goofy, but who has the time? Sometimes do you have time to sit down and eat a good full salad for lunch? I don't have time to eat and chew that properly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I have, I've actually read studies where the, the uh, daily chew time of various species, specifically, um, specifically primate species was, assessed and then compared to the average chew time of humans. Now, so non-human primates like, say, gorillas and chimpanzees spend, I think in the case of gorillas, it was something like six to eight hours per day chewing. <laughs> and your average human spends about a half an hour a yeah. day. Yeah. How How is, um, is gum chewing as far as, you know, this... Does, I mean, it's because it's not hard what you're chewing. I just wonder if that there's any 
Yeah, that, yeah, that that that's really interesting, isn't it? Because with actually chewing fibrous foods, you've got the mechanical scrubbing yeah. action of the insoluble yeah. fiber, and then you've got the enormous production of saliva that occurs as the result of of, of of that chewing action. And so you've got two protective mechanisms. Now, in the case of gum, you don't have the fibrous scrubbing action, but you have the saliva production. So, mm -hmm. but I guess it's like it's as good a compromise as you're going to get most people to to make because yeah, they're yeah. not going to wander around gnawing on sugarcane, you know, in their day. <laughs> not very acceptable behavior. <laughs> Where are you going to get stuff? I can get it. I can actually just walk up the road with a machete and <laughs> bring home some sugarcane, but your average person doesn't have jealous. that availability. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, bisvalatol chewing gum, you would say yes. Supportive. Yes. In Supportive. fact, you know, one thing I, I guess to say, but um, I, I don't think we touched on this, but I will advocate for the chewing of sugarless gum and xylitol being the choice, especially after consuming um, coffee. You know, people, I, I don't know if we talked about this, but one of the higher rates of decay that I see in my adult patient population is due to the, the chronic consumption of coffee over long windows of time. Okay, oh, so yes. I guess the coffee yeah so sipping it in an insulated mug um because coffee is an acidic beverage and and the acid you know if you're constantly bathing your teeth in acid if you have this nice you know mug that keeps your coffee hot and you're drinking you know say 12 ounces of coffee but you're nursing it over a four-hour window oh, you essentially boy. have a four and a half hour window of of an acid bath for the tooth yeah. structure and the mouth under a natural circumstance takes about 30 minutes to neutralize back to a stable pH. And wow. they do, you know, and the, and the, and the tendency is to want to brush your teeth right after you've had, you finished your coffee because mm -hmm. you want that coffee taste out of your mouth. Right. But the enamel is in a weakened state from the acid. That's right. And then you're wow. brushing that acid right into the tooth structure. So I, wow. I recommend to my patients to, wow. Chew some sugarless gum because you stimulate stimulate salivary production, which helps to then mitigate some of the pH issues um, faster than without chewing, because you know chewing helps to stimulate that um, production. And then um, I'm a big fan of tongue scraping after you've had coffee, not <sighs> not so much from the acid. I I can't comment on that, but just from the stain producing power the tongue has to just hold all that stain you know, on those. Phenols. Yeah. Yes, and then and then your tongue is just you know pushing that around. So big and, fan. And, and so you might want to take your coffee, you know, macchiato style, like just <laughs> one one small shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I joke with patients. It's not the quantity of coffee that you consume, but the time over which you consume it. Mm. So I'm fine if you want to have three cups in 30 minutes. Have at it. But mm. having one cup over four hours is far more damaging. Not a good plan. And then especially if you add sugar or cream to it. So Yes, yes. I was thinking, you know, beyond beyond the acidic effects of the coffee, if you're doing the typical but by the way, I mean this is no offense to you, but but Australians always laugh about how god awful American coffee is. <laughs> well, we can't understand it because you, you you got this huge influx of Italian migrants, right? And and so so you'd think that American coffee would be good, but um people from around the world who who come and visit Australia say, man, your coffee's like really, really good. I'm like, yeah, because we got a bunch of Italians and they started coffee shops, you know. <laughs> well, 
I'm so curious about that because I'm I consider myself a coffee snob. Like I will take my own coffee maker and my own coffee when we travel, mm -hmm. like even on airplanes, because I just have to have because I'm right. I mean, most American coffee just it, well, you might as well just drink water. Right? Oh, dishwater. It's it's so yes, disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> Well, now in demand all over the world apparently it's not not a topic i claim any expertise on on this is just something i've heard because yeah apparently australia's a bit of a bit of a hub for quality coffee so there you go <laughs> well i might just have to come to visit australia to see if if in fact this is true well well i i, I await your uh, i await your 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 uh, coffee notes on this <laughs> all right um i i think we've covered all the or at least most apologies to anyone who sent a question in and i and i didn't get to it but um if i didn't answer or sorry if jessica hasn't answered your question feel free to sort of go ah, 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 you didn't answer my question yeah. and we'll, we'll yeah. see if we can maybe get you to, to do it in writing um i um i just wanted to express my gratitude from the bottom of my heart you have been so unbelievably generous with your time I've, I've had some really positive um, comments from listeners just saying, wow, this was great. This is a marvelous conversation. People are so appreciative of you, of you sharing your wisdom. Are there, is there anything in our three conversations <laughs> that we haven't talked about that you just want to kind of get a word into to say, pay attention to this? Well, I, I feel like we've been, I feel like we've covered a lot and I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, and um, I'm trying to have my, I'm sort of tailoring my Substack to now be not so much about the COVID nonsense, but to to be a to be a source for people to come when they have a question, you know, just an opinion. I, I obviously can't speak to everybody's situation, and they need to have a good provider that they trust. But sometimes it's just fun to bounce ideas or hear opinions yeah. um, that yeah. may differ from what you've heard. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I, I am very much in favour of, of people taking, you know, and we talked about this last time, taking responsibility for their health. And that also Absolutely. means that, that even if you find a provider who you think is just the bee's knees, don't just delegate all of your decision making to that, to that person. You right. should still have someone that you bounce ideas off or or um, if a procedure has been recommended to you, my suggestion would be go and see if you can find reasons why not to do that procedure. Mm -hmm. Read those reasons. Uh, discuss them with your provider. If your provider gets their little snout out of joint and, and says, why are you questioning me, you peasant? It, it's time to find a new provider. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and that, I think that's a really good way of trying to sift through who might be a good provider for you is, is being able mm -hmm. to ask those questions and then the response that you get from that individual because if you truly care about the person that you're offering this care to and they have reservations or concerns listening to them is paramount to making that relationship and building that relationship of trust mm. yeah this, this goes back to the whole question of informed consent that we just yes. asked previously yeah. to yeah. yeah okay great so um your let's let's just have you sum up with what would be if you if you were able with the knowledge that you have now okay i'm gonna i'm gonna frame it this way with the knowledge that you have now and i know that that you're a mother what would you what would you recommend kind of like from cradle to grave in in, in fact from preconception 
all the way through um, a child's life. Now, I know, of course, parents lose control of what their children, what their children's life choices are at a certain point. But if somehow you're able to direct the unfolding of a human life from, you know, preconception all the way through their life to maximise their their oral health, their airway function, their their, their dental health, what would be Jessica's ten point plan or whatever? Yeah. So first. Um pre you know pregnancy no fluoride you know don't drink any fluoridated water um because they i think they've been able to demonstrate that there's potential harm to the fetus even from the mother's consumption and even then once you're breastfeeding to avoid fluoridated water um the amount of fluoride that's in breast milk is extremely low so the body has an amazing capacity to filter it um, that should tell you something yes exactly and that was brought up in something that i read and then as far as um diet you know trying to keep your children and this and this is something you would promote as well trying to keep your child away from the processed foods mm-hmm. that are so harmful keeping them on a diet that's you know healthier and crunchier and and, and definitely promotes chewing staying away from the passies um, anything that's going to cause some type of malformation in the airway and you know this is doesn't relate to dentistry but staying away from the childhood vaccination schedule because mm-hmm. I believe that the, the way we over-vaccinate, at least in this country, has implications on the immune system that causes the adenoids and tonsils to be so enlarged, which then complicates the airway. So I see oh, so many- my goodness. Yeah, got it, yes. got it, got it. Uh-huh. So many mm. mouth-breathing children, because they're, when we look in, the, in their mouth doing their oral exam, they have kissing tonsils. Their tonsils are so big in the back, you know, and they have the, the, the droopy eyes and the, their mouth breathing. and. Um, and I'm just wondering if it's as much an issue, if it's more of an issue now than it was 40 years, if it, I guess if I go back 50 years pre the 1986 Childhood Vaccination Act that changed the number of vaccines, at least that we see in our country and I assume your country. We're not far behind you. There, there's okay. a few shots that you have on your schedule that we don't have, um, but where I, I, Australia is definitely in the top five in, in terms of number of, of, of uh not necessarily individual childhood vaccines administered, but number of antigens administered. We're definitely in the top five. We could be in the top three. Like there's more, there's more shots on the childhood schedule here than there are in the UK. I know that for certain. Um, but where just just a few less than, than you have in the US. Yeah, it's pretty bad here. Yeah. Um, well, I hope there's going to be some changes to that in the near future. Um, and then as far as their development, you know, if they're being monitored by a dentist and you start to see some type of jaw um, misalignments or tooth mouth positioning to look into more of the myofunctional therapy or the different the different ways of intervening at a young age that do not involve putting braces on not that braces are necessarily bad but they have they have a lot of costs associated with them and then there's the the care that um, the children don't have the capacity to do mm-hmm. adequately that becomes a compromise in the future for their dental health. So looking at these more natural ways of, of you know, we had the mewing that we talked about last time. And then there's some other things that I've seen in this country that I just haven't researched enough to know, but I know that they have benefit to the shaping of the arch and allowing the teeth to come in straight. And if you've missed it, if your child's already six or seven and you're kind of, you've missed that window and their teeth are a little crowded and the orthodontist is pushing a two-phased orthodontic treatment, try to get a second opinion on possibility because that has become i don't know if it's in your country but extremely popular in this country to do a two-phased orthodontic treatment early interception with a late interception obviously there's more money to be made because you're doing it twice but then the child has braces at a very young age when they don't even i mean now they're oral 
hygiene routine is even poorer than it might be when they get a little bit older. Mm -hmm. So trying to avoid that, um, mm. you know, and just teaching them good habits, you know, from diet to care, uh, yeah. to try to stay away from us if possible. I don't mean yeah. stay away. I mean, obviously to be checked and be cared for, but to yes. minimize. Yes. And then, yeah. Is on preventive care rather than waiting until the problem has occurred and then yeah and then to kind of wrap it up but when you get into beyond the the braces phase you know you have a proper um aligned dentition teeth are straight and your your bite is comfortable well now the wisdom teeth are going to start developing and to not rush into just having them taken out investigate you know the possibility of being able to maintain them um to you know manage mm -hmm. the shape of the arch Fantastic. Okay. That's great. Thank you so much for, for your time, for your generosity. Um, you didn't live quite so far away. I would love to have you as my dentist, but man, that's a, that's a hell of a long time. I'd say a hell of a long way to come for a good cup of coffee too. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I don't trust those planes not falling out of the sky with all of our jabbed No, pilots. jabbed pilots. I tell you what, it is it is a serious concern. It is a very yeah. serious concern. I, I have um, thought twice about ever getting on a commercial flight Again, yeah. particularly now when the airlines are, are trying to scrimp and save money by by not having two pilots in the cockpit. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, we, we, we make it compulsory for them to get all jabbed up and then we have only one person capable of flying the plane who's in the cockpit. I have, mm. I have not heard that. That's scary. That's yeah. Um, I don't think that that has actually been brought in, but it, it's certainly the idea is being, being investigated because, because yeah. of course the airline companies are losing money. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, scary world. So if I ever want to come and visit you, I might have to. I don't know, like <laughs> come by boat. I'm gonna take a boat. I live near the coast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It's like going back a century. All right. So, uh, again, thank you so much. I um, I am going to recommend that all of my readers and listeners subscribe to your Substack, which is Unpacking Truth. So if you just go to Substack and search in the search bar, uh, I think they'll find it under your name too, but just look for Unpacking Truth. It, it's it's great. And um Yep, massive, massive appreciation to you from the bottom of my heart. And well, let's and stay in touch. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to you. You are amazing. The research you put out, your your listeners and readers are so fortunate to have found you. Oh, so thank you so thank much. Thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, and, and by the way, if you, if you in your uh, research on dentistry, if you come up with something we like, ah, I want to get this out there, yeah. drop me a line. I'd love to okay. have you back on again. All right. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks, Robin.